another episode of the Speak Real podcast, sharing one-on-one conversations. We believe that storytelling is the best way to empower youth and give them the platform to find their voices. Presented by Youth Speak. Youth experience, youth voice, youth empowered. Well, hello, everybody. How are you all doing here? We're back here with another episode of Speak Real Podcast. Now, of course, you're going to see this face and be like, who is this guy? What is he doing here? Where's everybody else and all the beautiful people? Well, I'm going to be going on here today. Sometimes you'll catch me in here, uh, dropping with some some awesome guests, as always. When do we never have an awesome guest, right? So we're going to be talking here today with a naturopathic doctor. And it's going to be some pretty incredible stuff. But we're gonna, she's going to share her adventures with us, uh, speak about some co techniques and some tools and some of the case studies that she's been through so it's you know we're in here for a very interesting conversation but before we get started though of course I have to introduce myself this new face it's Christian my name is Christian I'm gonna be here on behalf of youth speak Canada glad to have you all here tuning in once again and of course gotta give a big shout out here to our sponsor TD Bank putting it you know just showing us some love supporting us as we go ahead here with our IG lives and the podcast that you're watching right now. So that's in case you know, you catch us on YouTube and little did you know, yes, we do IG lives as well. So make sure to follow us everywhere, you know, Instagram, Twitter, wherever it may be. We definitely appreciate any support. But without further ado, though, I do want to bring tonight's guest. It's going to be Dr. Bizlina. I'd like to let her introduce herself. Well, 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 welcome back. Welcome back. Hey, hey, I see I wasn't lying. We do have our guest here for tonight, Dr. Bezlin. Let us know how it be. What's up? Introduce yourself. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to be here. Do you want, oh, do you want to do like yeah. a full introduction? No, I want to, I want to go ahead. Yeah, introduce yourself. Definitely you know, all the projects you're about, you know, yeah, yeah all of it. Yeah, so I am a naturopathic doctor. Um, I've recently started my own virtual clinic called the Mental Empowerment Center. Um, so it's fully focused on really just teaching people how to master their mental health and work through specifically their anxiety and depression. Um, I also have my own mental health campaign called All About Mental Empowerment. So I do a lot of workshops in the communities with different schools and organizations, teaching people the basics of mental health and giving them the step-by-step approach uh, they need to master their resilience. And currently right now we are working on implementing six week mental health courses in schools. So that's a big project that I'm working on right now. Yeah. Jeez. Oh my gosh. You're everywhere. How do you do it? Oh my, how do you have the energy? Look at you. You're always like ready to go, you know? So definitely hearing all those projects, got to give a big shout out and big thank you to giving us some time of your day. I know, you know, that you could be doing so many other things, but you know, it's going to be an awesome conversation that we're going to have tonight. So, you know, we're going to get started with our first question here of the, of the night. Would you kindly share your own story of a battle with mental health? Yeah, so um, I was diagnosed with depression when I was 16. So that was when I was about in like grade 10, grade 11. And um, yeah, I remember when I was first diagnosed, I'd known that I just felt sadness for a very long time, but I didn't really know what it meant. And my doctor was like, oh, you have depression here. Take these happy pills and you'll feel better. Um, and I was like, okay. And then I, and I just left the doctor's office being so confused. I was like, what does this mean? Like, 
Um, and I talked to my parents about it and they were like, you know, you don't need any depression medication. Like you're, you'll be fine. You're going to go to university soon and everything will get better. Uh, but that's like telling someone with a broken arm, you know, go from your kitchen to your living room and you'll start to feel better, right? A change in environment doesn't fix things. And so I unfortunately didn't get that support that I really needed. And my life just started to spiral downwards. I went from being like a straight A student and athlete, super involved member of my community to then quitting all my sports teams, failing some of my classes. And my life just did a complete 180. And um, I barely, I, to this day, I don't even know how I made it to university, but I am so glad that I did. <laughs> um, so, and I, and I, I went to Waterloo University and things kind of got worse for me in first year and especially second year because now I was away from my home and, and away from my parents. So I didn't really have that much support. And um, things got so bad that I actually ended up in the hospital in my second year of university. And I think that's when I was just really like, whoa, like things are bad now. And I remember one of my best friends, I remember that night so clearly too. And she was literally like sleeping beside me. And I remember just looking up while and staring at the ceiling when I was um, lying in that hospital bed. And I was just like, okay, like things have to change because there could be a chance that next time I come here, come in here, I will not be leaving. Right. And so when I left the hospital, I literally made a list of everything that I felt like was wrong in my life. And I set about changing all of those things one step at a time. I started talking to different doctors and counselors. I started putting hours and hours of research just to see, you know, what types of foods I should be eating, how much exercise should I be getting? And then, you know, after putting in all that work, I was finally able to get to a place of having great mental health. And I didn't even know a place like this existed, like to actually, you know, be in a place where you feel good most of the time. It's like, whoa, like this is possible. <laughs> I know, right? It is, I swear it is. <laughs> and so, you know, it's after going through my journey, you know, and meeting so many people along the way who are also suffering, I was like, someone needs to help these people, you know? Because the biggest thing about mental health is, I remember in my journey, it was like, it just seems so overwhelming because you're just feeling pain all the time. You're feeling sadness all the time. And you're just like, I don't even know what to do. And you just wish that I, when I was younger, I literally wish someone would just come and just grab it out of me and like chuck it into a garbage can. Right. I, I wish that was possible. Unfortunately, it's not. I'm still trying to figure that one out. And that's what I really wanted to do. I just wanted to eliminate the guesswork for so many people because I did all that guesswork for 10 years. And so that's why I do so much of what I do, because I really want to help people create that strategic plan and, and tell them like, this is where you start. This is where you're going to end up. And these are all the steps that you need to do on the way to help yourself get there because no one is teaching that and sharing that. Right. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's my mental health journey. And, you know, I'm still working on my mental health all the time because it's, it's a never ending journey, but at least, you know, once you start doing the work, you get an idea as to how to work on it and what are the things you need to do on a daily basis. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we're going to get into that afterwards as well yeah. about mental health, physical health, but uh, you know, when you say that whole thing about, you know, Oh, we, we could be happy. Like we, we can do this. You know, you ever have those moments where it's like, things are good and you're happy and you're like no 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 something something's gonna something bad's gonna happen like this is uh you know it's like it's like 
you know, you're like, this is too good to be true. I'm not allowed to feel like this. And that's what it comes yeah. yeah, it comes across like that. We tell ourselves these things, right? So yeah. of course we'll get into that afterwards as well, yeah. but like resilience and coping techniques, but like, you know, self-talk, like how we are talking to ourselves. Unfortunately, yeah. that's one of those things, right? You, it's not wrong to feel good. It's okay, it's guys. Not. You can feel okay. You can it's put a true. smile on your face. And and, and you're right. As soon as we start telling ourselves, whoa, this is too good to be true. You know what happens? It becomes too good to be true. As soon as yeah. you start telling yourself, I can't feel this, something bad's going to happen and something bad does happen. Boom. Right? Yeah, that's so, how it is. Yeah. It is. So, you know, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it sucks like you're like, hearing your story. Obviously, it, it hurts because like, a lot of us can relate. Of course, I can, myself can relate to, you know, my own bouts of depression as well. Obviously, a battle still ongoing and such. But I mean, you know, it, it, it gives you that resilience and we're going to be speaking about that later on but uh man you know the, the pills when they slap you with the pill sometimes you feel like your self-worth went down sometimes and it's like it's one of those things where we should try to it, it's difficult like now that mental health is starting to come into the light of course people are starting to become more aware of it we don't have to yeah. be so ashamed to be taking care of ourselves no matter how we have to do it so it was just remember you saying that it's like oh yeah i remember that too here's your happy pills get on out there be a functioning member of society totally. it's like man but yeah. you know that, that that's like one of those things where you just put a band-aid over like actual problems right so yeah. but anyhow we'll go ahead here on a, to our yeah. next question right yeah. we know the built-in yeah. mental health is finally being brought to light Oof, we segue well to that and how young can we go what are some of the different age groups you have seen Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. So I personally haven't done like work with like very young kids. I think like the youngest I've done is middle school, but I have done workshops uh, for uh, elementary schools. But of course, that's like different types of work. But I mean, really, with mental health, it can affect anyone at any age. And, and the biggest thing about kids, because I've done, you know, quite a few workshops for parents is that kids are like beautiful in the sense that they're such great absorbers and they're sponges right and that's why you could teach a kid like 10 languages and they'll learn it all in like a week right but also it doesn't go so well because they also pick up on that bad stuff too right and kids are really good at sensing environments that are stressful highly anxious and they will internalize it that's the other thing about kids as well is the world revolves around them right? It's just how kids work. So it's not that, you know, mom can't play with them because mom is busy and doing work. It's, it's mom can't play with them because mom doesn't like me. Right. And, and kids are so, so good at internalizing and blaming themselves for everything because they don't have enough world experience to realize actually everything doesn't revolve around me, <laughs> you know, and they learn that when they get older, but it's too late by that time. Right. So, I mean, really it can affect anyone at any age. The other thing I've noticed with, with children and, and kids is that um, anxiety and depression come out in very different ways. Because again, kids don't really have that understanding to know what anxiety and depression is. So instead of being like, you know, I am anxious or I'm thinking a lot of thoughts, it'll often come out in physical symptoms. So when kids have anxiety, they'll get stomach aches and headaches. Stomach aches is actually a very, very common symptom even depression, it might come out as like irritability and anger and all these emotional outbursts, right? Because again, they don't know the emotions that they're experiencing. So yeah, really it can, it can go as, as young as it goes. Yeah. There's no age cutoff, unfortunately. It, it, it's, it's crazy that you say that, like, it's not, you know, it, it's, 
finally, as we were mentioning before, like we're starting to bring up these issues of mental health and we don't really think about how young it can go. And you're mentioning middle school. Like I never would have imagined that. Right. And of course, it's becoming a little bit more prevalent. I mean, you have uh, differing home environments and such. But as you were mentioning them being sponges, they could take any of that from home. And I love the fact that you mentioned just as much potential as they have to learn as much as they possibly can. That same potential also will be able to, you know, take in any of the negatives as well and the cons as well of life. And uh, it's just, uh, I, I had to ask because I want to know, like, you know, how, how young can they go? And um, so you've done for middle school, elementary, uh, you've worked with adults, I'm assuming as well. So yeah. you've seen all sorts of cohorts, eh? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, so man. elementary, you know, I haven't been able to work one-on-one, -on -one, but a few weeks ago, I was doing a workshop for elementary school students. And I kid you not, I almost, um, usually I don't tear up during workshops, even when I share my story, just because I've been doing it for years now, I, I am almost like immune to it. But wow, this workshop, I literally almost like choked up and teared up because these kids like grade one, grade two, and, and I was going through a storybook with them about anxiety and coping mechanisms. And I asked some of them, right? Like, do you, do you feel stressed out? Do you feel anxious? And, and so many of the classes shouted out, yes, we feel anxious. We feel stressed. And, you know, it was nice that they were being vulnerable and sharing them at the same time, my heart almost broke a little bit because I'm just like, you know, a six-year-old feeling stressed and anxious. It's like, they should be worried about what toy to play with next. You know, it's just a, it is, it's true. It's, it's, I know. A, little, it's a little heartbreaking. No, I agree. I'm sorry. I just laughed because it's true. It's like, I'm thinking about myself at that age. Like, I'm pretty sure I was just like grabbing the next like wrestling toy or something. Not having yeah. to think about that. Right. So, I mean, yeah. of course, every, every period of time has its pros and cons, uh, you know, as we didn't have that many distractions or during my time, you know, toys yeah. were like our thing or sports were yeah. our thing. Now, yeah. you, you know, you're pulled in so many different angles. So I'm sure, you know, you get stressed from different ways. Um, yeah. But I want to ask, so um, is there any specific case studies you could bring up as an example of a very young demographic? I feel like you did give one just there. Would you have another one you can share? Yeah. Um... I guess I can I can talk about one of my a patients who was in, in middle school and I feel like this is generally a little bit of a trend I've started to notice in young people but then also keep in mind I interact with a specific group of young people who need support right so I definitely have a little That's bit of true. bias in that as well <laughs> but what I've really noticed you know this um girl that I was working with there's just a lot of parental dependency is, is what I've noticed in, in young people um, to the point, you know, where she was like texting her mom multiple times a day and like constantly needing to be around with her mom and sleeping with her mom and things like that. And I've noticed that even working with parents, I noticed parents wanting to cuddle their kids more and wanting to be more overprotective. And then I noticed equally the kids reciprocating that by becoming more dependent on them too. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a complex relationship, but that's something that I've definitely noticed in, in my very young demo demographic that I work with. Yeah. So you say with that relationship where it's, it could be a beautiful thing, but also a detrimental thing where it's like, they depend yeah. on their parents, you know, and their parents, of course, will guide them into all these programs or this and that, but then at the same time, there's no space for their own decision-making or, or what would be yeah. something you'd say? Yeah. Um, I guess less more so their own decision making, but more so just letting uh, children problem solve on their own, letting them kind of work through their hurts and their pains a little bit on their own. Um, I'm also generally noticing too, and you know, maybe social media and stuff might play a role in this, but um, generally the, the lack of boundaries I'm noticing also young people having, right? And them like 
absorbing everything that comes your way instead of being like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do, do I want this to let this affect me, right? Um, am I going to let this into my, like my bubble and my space as well? Just a lot of that, um, like, yeah, lack of boundaries and just everything coming their way and everything is because they're a horrible person and they're not good enough. So you know, that whole thing about boundaries. Oh man, you know, like you're saying, we got, we're in the information age. We got all these resources and accessibility online. Like uh, discord is like a big one I can mention, especially for like yeah. gaming communities. Yeah. Uh, they you get in there they have like voice chats for like unlimited. It'll be like so many people just in there and they're all talking about some of the most ridiculous things. And it's yeah. just, it's just nuts to, well, we live in that. So you're saying, yeah. especially when we earlier you brought up with the sponge, imagine not only sponging all that stuff from home, but like you're saying, social media or or yeah. Discord or all yeah. these things. Yeah, it's just everywhere, right? Yeah, so, and being bombarded. And then if you already are at a young age where, you know, you're also learning how to set boundaries too, right? At that elementary, middle school, you're, you're growing up, you're learning who you are setting boundaries, but it does make it so much harder now when you're just bombarded with everything right before you fully get a sense of yourself and who you are it could be like almost as if we're talking about a rush development too you're trying to get pushed through these things real quickly instead of like you were mentioning we used to have time to be able to come into who we are whereas now like you're saying bombarded by a lot of stimuli you never know like you have to constantly question now in the state of age right now that we don't know if that could factor into what you were saying about youth uh, having to deal with depression and anxiety at such a young age we don't know it's just saying that these could be some of the factors and how our youth are just yeah, yeah. there's so much that they have to go through home their yeah. family the complex yeah. relationships that we now have especially the availability accessibility yeah. it's just quite a lot but you know before I, it's another good segue here because our next question Right. Yeah. What do you think are the factors for those young who are suffering from mental health detriments, physically, emotionally, whatever you'd say? Take it away. Yeah. Uh, two of the biggest one. Number one being lack of education. That's a huge one. I notice. You know, even to the basics of you know, if you go on the street right now, and you, if you ask like even just ten people walking by, what is mental health? Like I guarantee, like eight eight of those ten people won't know what to say, right? Or they might have some guesses and stuff, right? Um, if that, again, that's just what I've noticed from the workshops that I've delivered and, and stuff. And so I really just think lack of education and people just not knowing, you know, resources available to them, knowing, you know, what are healthy coping strategies and things like that as well. I noticed that being like a huge, huge thing. And then also just access to care too is a big one. Cause I think that mental health services, um, they can be expensive for some people too, right? Over time, because one counseling session isn't going to make you feel okay. Multiple probably will, you know? And, um, and I know the, the ones that are free or at lower cost, there's often really long waiting periods and having one session and then having to wait like two, three months to see someone else next. It's it just, it's not as helpful versus being able to see someone regularly as well. So that access to care pieces, um, is really difficult too. It's yeah, yeah. I love how you're bringing that up too. You know, so it, they actually kind of go hand in hand because awareness yeah. is only being brought, and now because it's a subject in today, finally, really heavily discussing our mental health, we're starting to slowly see benefits starting to pick up and start throwing in mental health services. But there's even to this day, there's still quite a lot that don't have them included. And yes, that's very expensive. It can get very expensive, you know, mm -hmm. and like you're saying, one's not enough, right? It has to be more you have to, you have to make like, it's like a partnership 
with this person that you're speaking to to be able to get to be comfortable and to be vulnerable and really dig deep and get yeah. into these roots of the problems right so it, yeah. it's great those are really two big factors i agree to like growing up myself, actually, I can share that too. Growing up myself, like I never could have gotten that. My parents would never have had benefits to to get those kind of things. Even when I went Same. to school, you know, university, you get your little benefits, you're like, yo, benefits, and then no. <laughs> and it's, yeah, so hurts, Same. right? It's It's a big one. Yeah. But you know, it's great that we're going to be talking about the fact of the topic of mental health. And we were talking about how it needs to be treated, you know, similar to our physical health, right? So here we go. Let's talk a yeah. bit about lifestyle. Why don't we do that? Especially, I know for you, you're going to love this. This ah. is your alley, right? Yes. So let's talk a bit about <laughs> lifestyle. Considering the discussion of the last question, how do you think lifestyle impacts mental health overall? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. This question, I'm, I'm already getting excited with it. Like, this is my <laughs> <laughs> lifestyle. Let's go. This is what natural <laughs> medicine is all about. Exactly. Um, I knew it. So, how do <laughs> huge impact, massive impact? Like, lifestyle is so, so, so big. Um, and you know, this is actually the reason why I decided to go become a naturopathic doctor versus going down the route of trying to become a psychiatrist, because I noticed in my mental health journey, I was getting support with counselors. I was even on antidepressant medication. I think I took it for about 10 months. And during that time I was feeling pretty good, but I just felt like something was missing. Like it just, I was feeling okay, but like, I still wasn't where I wanted myself to be. And that's when I started really breaking down like, okay, what is my lifestyle, right? What are the foods I'm eating? How much exercise am I getting? How much sleep am I getting? What are the actions and habits that I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis? Are they contributing to my happiness or my sadness, right? And it's when I started working on all those things, still going to counseling, still taking the antidepressants. And I was like, whoa, now it all fits. It all works together. And when I started working on my lifestyle, I was able to wean myself off my antidepressant medications because ultimately that's how, and I know we're going to talk actually more about that in a little bit. So maybe I'll save it for that, but um, it's, yeah. it's my lifestyle habits that have carried me forward and they allow me to maintain great mental health, regardless of supplements and medications, you know? And so I always love to give the example of this like sunflower analogy, right? And this is what it, so with a lot of us, when we think about mental health, right? We think about doing mindset work. We think about, okay, I got to wake up. I got to tell myself like, I'm beautiful. I'm awesome. I'm radiating with, you know, I don't know, like the sun, whatever. Um, and, you know, pause all that stuff. Yes, it makes a difference. All that mindset stuff, it helps, right? But what that mindset stuff is like, it's like a sunflower growing outside, right? The sun is shine, shining, sunflowers growing. And then you take the sunflower and then you, pluck it out of the ground and you throw it in your freezer and then you're upset that it's died, right? That's the same as kind of only working on your mind because your mind is just one part of your body. There's no point in, you know, doing all these wonderful exercises for your mind, but then not treating your body well, because the environment for your mind is your body, right? And of, of course your external environment that counts too, but your internal physical environment first, right? And so, you know, the, so the top three lifestyle things I always kind of help support people work on is their diet, their exercise and their sleep diet is like the most important. Okay. And I'm not going to get into like eat your vegetables, blah, 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 but really why is it so important? And this is what people don't understand. The reason why diet's important is because it's literally the fuel of your body, right? Your protein, 
those are the building blocks for all your hormones and neurotransmitters. You're not eating enough protein. Your body literally is not able to build that. Fat is such a huge fuel source for your brain. You're not getting enough fats in your diet and healthy fats, your brain literally can't function, right? And it's the same as thinking about fuel for a car. I'm all about analogies. So I'll give another a car analogy. So thinking about like a Ferrari and a Toyota, right? Two very different cars. If many of us had the option, we'd want the Ferrari. I know I definitely <laughs> want the Ferrari, right? Now, Ferrari and Toyota, they take very different fuel. You can't put the same fuel in a Toyota and put it in a Ferrari because that engine will break down really fast. So that's the same thing that goes for our bodies. If we want our bodies to function like a premium car, like a Ferrari, we have to give it premium fuel, right? And pizza ain't going to cut it. Okay, I love my pizza, Damn. but only once that I know, I wish, I, I wish. <laughs> I've really tried to look at all the ins and out, all the loopholes. The pizza Gotta cancel my Uber Eats order. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But that's the same example. And I always, you know, I always tell my patients, like our bodies are honestly incredible, especially our brains, because our brains are constantly building new neurons, new neural pathways and connections on a daily basis. They've even done research studies on brains of 80 year olds to show that even at that age, your brain is constantly changing and rebuilding itself. Right. Yeah, so I think I, I remember something about that. Like physically, like although our brain, like uh, sorry, our, our mind and brain, they develop in tandem up to a certain point. The body might start deteriorating at thirty, mm -hmm. but the brain could keep developing. Plus, you can factor in neuroplasticity as well. So there's always That's room to grow. Is. And uh, exactly always. what we're talking about, you know, like remember we we're talking about self-talk actually that negative stuff that we're saying the oh man mm -hmm. too good right now something bad's gonna happen you know that is the kind of stuff that you can change with what you were just saying how with like your neurotransmitters and neuroplasticity change the way we think and to be more wow. positive you know just like how we incorporate positive like physical um qualities like you were saying you know let's eat properly you know, let's exercise sleep better things like that to yeah. treat your body better is the same way you want to treat your mind better and of course like you mentioned we are going to get into that as well later on but yeah. i just it really it was interesting you brought up the 80 year olds too can still learn so i love that yeah and that's a really huge piece when it comes to mental health which i find you know i even experienced that when i was going through my depression thinking that this is it I'm going to think like this forever. I can never get better. And that's a lot, a huge problem with so many people that have mental health concerns is they end up getting stuck in this mindset of this pain is going to be with me forever. This anxiety is going to be with me forever. Yes. I can't ever overcome it. And it's so important to remember. And one of the first steps is to realize you can overcome it. You can change your brain can think in a new way. You know, it's so and hard at the time though. You know, it is, it is hard. It's so hard. It right? is very hard. And that's a lot of, a lot of work. It is. And that's why you get support, right? You need to get support from someone who can tell you that, remind you that, give you the steps to show you that, right? And teach you how yeah. you can do that. Because I always like to say, you know, it's also very hard to come up with a solution when you're in the problem mindset. That's why working with a practitioner or someone else in that field can be so helpful because they are in the solution mindset, right? And they're outside like of the situation than you. So yeah. And, and so that's, that's the diet diet piece of things. Now I also just find, you know, really telling people the whys of why they should be doing something is can be so much more helpful and, and motivating. Right. So for example, exercise, we all know it's good. We all know we should be like moving and stuff. Right. But really why they've done studies to show that when you exercise, that's when your brain actually starts building new neurons and neural pathways. So that's when neurogenesis begins. There's increased blood flow 
to your brain when you start moving. Your body immediately releases feel-good hormones and neurotransmitters. Your stress hormone shoots way down, right? And this is not stuff I'm making up. Making up. This is like they've done legit studies to oh, like know. you know show this. So that's how powerful that can be. And then sleep, of course. Again, I think we're such a sleep-deprived community too, and I think that eighty percent of us would be happier at least if we all just got enough sleep. Right. And it's all about like simple, simple changes. Like don't be on your phone 30 minutes before bed. Right. Simple change. A lot of people have difficulty with this, but all that stuff impacts our sleep and our sleep is so important because that's when we're really repairing ourselves, rebuilding, taking the stuff we've learned during the day. So, so important for young people and students and consolidating that into long-term memory and stuff. So lifestyle is a, it's a huge impact on mental health, but then also keeping in mind too, you know, something I also do in my practice is also making sure the body is physiologically functioning right too, and making sure that physical aspect is working well. So I conduct a lot of blood tests and stuff with my patients and making sure their numbers are okay. And then sometimes you do have to supplement and, and give additional support while people are working on their lifestyle changes, right? Because those take time to build. You, you can't go from eating pizza every day to now eating like tons of vegetables that takes a, a few weeks and months to build. And so, but, but those are the things at the end of the day that help carry you forward for the rest of your life. Right. So, so important. It, it's, it, it's insanity to think just how much like uh, th those simple changes do. So for example, I love how you brought up neurogenesis and exercise, because when I, once I learned that, I remember in university, I'm like, that's it. I used to, before <laughs> studying for exams, go to the gym, get on that treadmill, do whatever, you know, just yeah. like get that neurogenesis going because I think it's activated for about two hours and then I'll go yeah. and, and study right after. So I love yeah. that. And then also, yeah, for sleeping, like, you know, there was a, um, uh, a podcast I was listening to. Yeah, I'm mean, talking about a podcast on a podcast. Like, we're about yeah. that. So um, it was about the fact that when we're lack of sleep or like, let's say we're sleep deprived, we are actually equivalent to being a drunk individual. And they're thinking to themselves, like they're able to, um, like just from the test that they're able to do it, they did, they conducted some tests while they were drunk and they conducted the test when they were sleep deprived. And they were like, yeah. there are so many things I do when I'm sleep deprived, AKA, mm -hmm. you know, pseudo drunk that I would not do if I knew I was drunk, like talk to my boss or drive. And it's like, imagine yeah. that, that we're yeah. such a lack of sleep society. And yeah. you mentioned about the consolidating our, our, anything that we've learned that day is true that happens in our sleep and we're not even letting ourselves sleep right because we're there too busy on our phone with that blue screen all day you know it's just oh i gotta get that one more candy crush little combo no man yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that reminds yeah. me so that goes right to the yeah. next question that we were just yeah. like you were just mentioning about it right where it's like yeah. is this something that we can work on and should we always rely on medication or mm -hmm. can we go away from it mm -hmm. yeah so I know a lot of people are like, oh, naturopathic doctor, you're against medication. Ah, not at all. <laughs> okay. And I always tell people like, if you're with a doctor and they're very against supplements or they're very against medications, run. Like, no, right? I feel like no doctor should ever be in a mindset where they were so strict and rigid on, on some sort of way of healing, right? Because there's so many different ways to heal out there, right? And different things work for different people. And when it comes to medication, you know, I even mentioned before that I took medication and I was on it for about 10 months, but I went in with the mindset that I'm going to use this medication short term while I build my other habits and learn more techniques to improve my mental health. And then I will get off it. 
a lot of people go into medications thinking, oh, there's something wrong with my biology. I'm going to take this medication. I need it for the rest of my life. And it is what it is. And that's it. And they never work in their mental health, never do anything. And that's a very dangerous mindset to be in, right? And, and really these medications aren't meant to be used very long-term. Now I will admit that I, I do think that there, that there are a small subset of people in our population that really do not have the biology to and physiology to support their mental health. And so there are some people that might need medications forever. And there are some conditions where it's questionable that people might need to be on medications for a very long time, right? Like schizophrenia, bipolar are, are some examples of that. Um, I also don't have enough experience to talk about, you know, not being, being off medication on those specific conditions. But um, I really think that for general conditions like anxiety and depression, that really the goal of medication should be use them short term, work on building your lifestyle habits, and then get yourself off them. Right. But a lot of a lot of patients aren't educated on that. They don't know about that. And um, I don't hate medications at all. I think that they can be very powerful and useful for some people, but if only if they are used for those reasons. And even as a naturopathic doctor, usually when I work with patients, I almost always in the first visit, give them some supplements, right? Because the thing is that when you're in this state of very high emotion, high intensity, it's so difficult for, for me to tell people, yeah, eat a carrot, right? Like you don't even want to get out of bed, right? Let alone eating carrot. That's a whole other story, right? And so what taking medications and supplements does it, it helps to lower the intensity of the symptoms so that you can actually start working on some of those foundational habits. I so, like that you're talking about that because I, it's yeah. true. Like, no medication is great. Like, I mean, I'm still on it myself. Uh, I feel like I, I function properly with it right now. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's one of those things where I'm like, at first I took it, then I'm like, Oh no, like beneath me like i cannot you know subject myself to medication but no, no 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 you know if it helps it helps whatever the case is but i love that you bring up the fact that you know at the end of the day if you just take it and don't do anything else in your life that is yeah. literally just a band-aid and it's not gonna help in the long run like you need to really work on the other things and that's what's great about it like you know it I love that you're a naturopathic doctor that's not just being like oh my god medication no but it's great that you allow the fact that there's a care package you know it all goes together and it should be the same thing for other doctors too you know psychiatrists you can't just be slapping around medication happy pills like we talked about earlier you know really get to the bottom of these things so i love that you bring that up yeah yeah it's but all about collaborative go care huh? right so, so no i was just saying it's, yeah. just, it's all about like collaborative care yeah. exactly but you know this is the question coming up it's the big one it's my like my favorite question right here yeah oh my yeah. dog might bark she might bark <laughs> You know, that, that's how that's how hype she is about the question, right? <laughs> so yeah. let's talk a bit about mental health versus physical health and how they may not be as different as some may think. What are the yeah. similarities? Yeah, um, both of them affect us. So that's <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that answer out of you, but it, I mean, you're right. You're right. Oh, both man. of them affect us. So that's definitely number one. Um, and, and really like, I mean, it goes back to that same thing. Like, I feel like you're expecting like a very elaborate response here. No, but, um, well, I'll, I will touch upon something, but go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. But honestly, they're, they're actually like, I can think about the one way that they're different, but aside from that, they're actually very similar in terms of how they impact and affect us. Right. They impact our relationships, how we function in the world, how we perceive ourselves and the world around us. They have 
they impact us in, in every single way. The only way, so I guess I can talk about it in the one way that they're different. The one way that I would say that they're just okay. different is that physical illnesses are a lot easier to recognize than mental illnesses, right? You can suffer for a very long time internally and people don't realize it versus if you have a broken arm, it can be easier to realize. And then also some physical illnesses aren't always the easiest to recognize either. Like I'm just thinking about fatty liver disease, right? That's hard to recognize because you can't really see your liver, right? So so there you go. That's a similarity too, I guess. Even some of them that you, you can't fully recognize unless you do blood tests and blood work, right? Um, but yeah, I really just think that physical illnesses and mental illnesses, they, they impact us, have impact our relationships, how we function in the world. And, and they're very similar. Like what I was going to bring up was the fact that we, we talked about this before, um, yeah. where it's that we need to exercise our mental health and take care of our mental health the same way we do for our physical health. Mm. Like there, if we're, you know, if we're going to be exercising, we're going to be dieting, you know, a lot of people, a lot of times people don't think about their mental health when they're doing these things. This is about, oh, I want to be physically healthy. You know, I want to be slim or so on and so forth. Right. But it's the yeah. same thing for mental health, the negative self-talk, you know, the, just the disaster thinking or always yeah. thinking about the worst, you know, uh, mm -hmm. not like just lacking positive thinking, mm -hmm. the resiliency mm -hmm. and coping techniques that you're referring to. So of course, nowadays, like we're, we're as we're, we keep repeating here is that finally we are touching upon these subjects. So hopefully it's going to be a future, probably near future, hopefully, where it's just people taking care of their mental health or speaking about their mental health will not be frowned upon. Just like yeah. me going to the gym is never frowned upon. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I just realized? I feel like I, I misread the health for illness. I don't know how I did that, but that's what I did. But um, you're right in that sense. In the same way, like you go to the gym, right? And people have these elaborate plans for their exercise, right? And when they're going to increase their weight and how many reps they're going to do, right? Where are those for a mental health? right and, and we for should real. have plans like that for our mental health right um and, and monitoring our responses and our emotions and making sure we're progressing in the right direction and we're, we are getting stronger as we can you know just like we do with our physical health so yeah no, that's why i had to bring out i feel like it's a very important subject to touch upon you know like we yeah. we need to talk about the fact that one day someone going to see uh you know getting help you know, be a psychiatrist or whoever, we're going to look at that in the same light that we look at someone going to the gym to lose weight, you know, yeah, that, getting that's, a personal trainer. Yeah. yeah, you know, things like that. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. um, but yeah, so I, this statement was really great. So, uh, when we were talking about this in, in like our previous meeting, I love the statement that you said, and I felt like it really touched upon something yeah. about like for today's day and age, what do you think about the statement normalizing, not feeling okay. And talk a bit about that. Yeah, uh, that's a huge one. I feel like I could do a whole workshop on that. Um, it's, it's like, no, it's just, you know, I think so many of us, I don't know how we all got it into our heads that we need to be happy all the time. I don't know who started this rumor, where it came from, but it's, it's a total lie, right? Sadness, anger, frustration, those are all normal emotions to feel and to experience. They are part of this human life that we are living. And so just because you are feeling sad because something happened, that's okay. Now, what's not okay is if these feelings persist they're now starting to impact your relationships, your life. That's, that's not okay. Right now we're talking extremes and we're potentially getting into mental illnesses, but just 
feeling sad because of something that's happened, that's okay. Feeling angry because maybe someone's, you know, crossed your boundaries or said something not so nice to you, that's okay. You are not weird or crazy or bad for feeling like this. These are normal emotions to have. And I think that a lot of us, we start to freak out and think like, oh my God, I'm feeling sad. Is there something wrong with me? Does that mean something? Instead of just being like, I'm experiencing sadness today. You know what? It's just one of those days. It'd be like that sometimes, right? Um, I've been really, doing that more recently, yeah. actually. I want to chime in on that. Yeah. I've done that recently. And honestly, yeah. it feels better to sometimes let go. Like, you know, just be like, okay, today's one of those days. Uh, if I feel like being a couch potato, I'm going to be a couch potato. Screw it. Yeah. Right. And yeah. lo and behold, most of the time, you know, next day, just going through the mentality of tomorrow's another day. Boom. I don't feel like that anymore. So it's just like you were saying, I just had to really chime in on that because no, you know, we don't let, that. we don't let ourselves do that. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'll be honest with you. I know. I love that you shared that because so many of us do have difficulty with that. I'll be honest. I have a very hard time doing course. that. You know, letting course, myself yeah. just relax when I need to relax because there's so many things I want to do. But again, mental yeah. health is a work in progress. Right. Um, and I like that you do that. And I encourage people, you know, just to like, call it out. Like if you're feeling irritated, frustrated, call it out and be like, yeah, I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling irritated right now. And, and it's okay to feel that way. Right. There's nothing wrong with, with not feeling you don't have to walk around smiling all the time. Right. And if you are, then that's you might need support too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or tell us your secrets, right? Or tell us your or secrets. Or that too. Oh man, spill the beans and let too. us know, please. So let us know, right? Because I haven't figured it out yet. So it'd be great to know. Um <sighs> yeah, and that's and that's really important. And I think I actually notice with people who have experienced mental health concerns, I think that they have an even harder time with this because I know through my journey, when I was starting to feel better, I would be so scared to let myself feel any sort of sadness because I thought that that meant if I felt sadness, I was depressed again. And just, I really had to work hard over the years to separate depression from sadness and let myself be like, being sad doesn't mean that you're going to be depressed again, because I've worked so much on myself over the past years. I've developed better coping and I'm a way different person now than when I was, when I was 16. Right. And I think a lot of people uh, going through mental health concerns, that's such an important thing to keep in mind, especially as you get better every single day and to just let yourself feel that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get back down to rock bottom again. I love that you bring that up too, because you know, there was that fear a lot. Of, if I felt sad, I'm like, Oh no, I'm going to be depressed. Like I'm sure a lot of people who suffer depression <laughs> could relate to that feeling because, yeah. Oh man, I've been there too. So I, I know that for sure. Um, but yeah, speaking of depression, actually, wow. What would be your top five lessons about depression? that you could pass yeah. on to others suffering with. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to think about these. Um, number one is looking back, just like, you know, not feeling crazy for how I felt. You know, I have always been a way more emotional and sensitive person than other people. Um, and it's great for me being a mental health, you know, a doctor that focuses on mental health, but every other area of my life, it's tough. Um, but just, you know, recognizing that it's okay for feeling how you feel, even if you are chronically depressed or you're not in your best place, you are not crazy for feeling that way. And just really important to not label yourself these things, right? Things you label yourself, you, you become, and you start to associate yourself with that. So I think that was a big thing because for years, I just felt like I was crazy because nobody understood why I was depressed. I didn't even understand why I was depressed, but 
<laughs> I didn't. I did. I was very, very lucky to grow up in a, in a loving home, and I had, and I had nice friends and a good social support system, and things were going okay. But I guess I wasn't okay, you know. And it didn't make any sense to me. But so, it is what it was. Um, another lesson was just um, not worry as much, you know. I think that even a lot of young people today. And I remember me being that young person too. I was just worried all the time as to how things are going to turn out in my future and what was going to happen. And was I going to, I don't know, make it to that university or just whatever, right? And just knowing that things work out, things work out the way that they're meant to work out, you know, and you just have to keep, have faith in that. Um, and I wish I could have, I wish I could have learned that sooner than I did. Um, another lesson was just, um, accepting the life that was given to me in the sense of just knowing that, you know, when I was going through my depression, I used to always look around at the people around me. And I don't even know if this was true or not, but I was like, you know, things that made me anxious or, or really affected me just didn't affect my friends as much and didn't affect, you know, some of my family members as much. Right. And, and I feel like no one, and I guess that's because I'm, I'm a bit more on the sensitive side, but I wish that I just didn't fight so hard to just know that, this is the life that I've been given, right? I have to work harder than some people on my mental health. Like I constantly have to wake up and make sure I'm doing my specific coping strategies. I have a routine and I just generally have to work harder on it. And I spent so many years being upset about that fact instead of just accepting it and working with it, right? These are the cards that you have been given in life. And it's like, how are you going to make the best of it, right? Um, so that's a, definitely another big lesson that I learned. Um, another big one was just not being afraid to ask for help. You know, I, I feel like my depression could have been cut down to a year or two instead of having it for five years if I had just asked for help sooner. And really just getting clear on what those signs and symptoms are and not being afraid to just be like, yeah, I'm suffering. I need help right? Because I can just save you so much time and heartache um, and really progress and that um, stage of just feeling good. And then the last one is if you keep working at it, you will be successful. That was a huge one. And, and that, would, that that's actually something I'm proud of for myself for the past 10 years is no matter how many downs I had and, and bad days I had, every single day I would get up and I would just try to be better, try to be better, try to be better you know, and it just, and I, I feel like that was really my huge, that huge mindset that I had. And I was like, no matter what I am overcoming this and nothing is going to stop me from it. And I think that just determination just really allowed me to finally get into a place where I had great mental health and it wasn't an easy journey. And, and still, you know, it is. And I still have my ups and downs, but I really learned that if you work at something and this goes to everything in your life, mental health, physical health goals that you have, if you keep working at something and no matter how many times life brings you down, you say, I am going to get back up, you will be successful and nothing can stop you. And I can't guarantee the time frame of that and how long it's going to take, but I can promise you, you keep at it, you will be successful and you will get to that place where you want to get to. You know, it goes back to what we were talking about before. People have, I want to lose a hundred pounds or something like that. It's the same thing. I want to feel better. And, you know, a lot of people who've gone through depression will actually relate to a lot of those lessons that you just said. Like, I, I've literally, like every single one you just mentioned, I'm like, oh, wow, like I've been there. And it's true. I really realized, I think it was 
probably in the past two or three years where I really decided, okay, this is it. I got time, time to take control of this. You know, like, for example, if people want to treat me out to, to get to see me, you know, my I, like it's like my self-worth was so low. I, I, I felt like it was insulting that I'm going to have this person pay for me or something like that. Right. Mm. Uh, it's just things like that. And then I realized stupid, that's stupid thinking. So I decided time to fix myself, time to get that positive thinking. I really worked at it just like, you know, physical goals, mental goals. And I knew that it took that to be able to get everything else better and everything yeah. falls in place right after yeah. you're able to take care of yourself yeah. better. So yeah. it was, yeah. it's just really great that you speak of yeah. these things, but uh, yeah. you know, why don't we end things off here today with the last question where people could take these lessons and take these tools and be able to work on themselves and, and get to where they want to be. Just like, you know, you're definitely a, just, a super bright example of like someone getting right through depression, going through that bout. It's such a t difficult battle. A doctor, a doctor, you're being able to put yourself in a position where you can help people get yeah. those kind of goals. So what are some coping strategies you can give to others? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, before I actually give like specific coping strategies, just a little disclaimer on coping strategies in general and just, you know, working on your mental health. I always just like to bring it back to it's the simple stuff. It's literally the simple stuff. And that that's a lesson I've learned during my journey too. Because before I would complicate everything and I was like, no, it can't be as easy as eating my <laughs> vegetables and getting movement and enough sleep and saying nice things to myself. And lo and behold, it was all those things, okay? <laughs> I was like, no way. It can't be that. I literally remember talking to my counselor about it in university. I was like, it cannot be that easy. Like, stop. Like, you're a lot. Like, literally, I remember talking to her about it. I was like, this is, she was like, you know, talk to yourself nicer. And I was like, oh my God, counseling is so stupid. You know, I literally walked out of it for a few sessions and that's how I would think. And then going through my journey, I'm just like, oh my God, like it was all right. And when you start actually applying it, you start to see it that it is the simple stuff. And it's all about making time for that simple stuff. Cause really, and I'm still going to give coping strategies. You know, as soon as you're seeing coping strategies, everybody can already start to think of a few good things that they know they should be doing, but they probably aren't doing in their life. Right. Most people that I work with, I, you know, most of my patients are always like, I should be doing this, but I don't do this. And, and you know, they all actually come up with their treatment plan for themselves. Um, they <laughs> just trying to be like you can do it but it's it's true and so always just keeping that in mind if you feel like it's too too much too overwhelming you've probably overcomplicated it and go back to that simple stuff just something to always remember so number one thing i would recommend in terms of i guess yeah coping strategies make a strategy around things that's a big part of the work that i do with patients right really getting clear on what are the situations in my life that give me anxiety? What are the situations in my life that make me feel not so good about myself or make my mood feel lower? And taking a step back and really reflecting on those situations and what is it about those situations and developing a plan around it, right? So if you have situations that give you anxiety, is it because you're not expressing your needs in those situations? And, and what's really happening during that time and helping yourself build a plan around it Sometimes you can do this on your, by yourself. Sometimes you might need support and help with other people, but that's one step towards it. Having a plan, especially when you have anxiety around specific situations, right? What's your plan around it? And I always say when it comes to things like anxiety, if you want to get over it, you got to go through it. That's the only way to get over it. But the more that you avoid it, the more that anxiety takes over, over you and has power over you. But if you want to get, get over your anxious things, you have to go through it. 
right? So if social situations give you anxiety, go to, go to social situation, you know, expose yourself to it. Um, so that's a coping strategy. Expose yourself to what makes you uncomfortable. Which what is it called again? Exposure therapy? It literally well, is the flippant, the flippant term. Yeah. 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 But it's so powerful, right? Because then you start retraining your brain because you start telling your brain, oh, I am safe in this situation. I'm not yeah, dying exactly. because I'm out at a party, you know, because your brain mm-hmm. jumps to that. Oh my God, you're going to die. Right. Because yeah. that's our brain is so primal still. Mm-hmm. Um, a- another simple, but such a powerful strategy is deep breathing. <laughs> okay. See, again, I was just like the simplest thing ever. And these are things in university I would look at and be like, oh my God, deep breathing. This is absolutely ridiculous. Right. I it think the same too. I agree. I know. I'm like, right? yeah. get and, out of here. I do that all the so, time. Like, <laughs> right. Exactly. And so I always love to explain the whys behind it. Right. And this is a podcast. So you can't actually see the actions that I'm doing, but the reason why deep breathing is so helpful is so you have your lungs up here and enclosed in your lungs, your lungs are enclosed in something called your diaphragm, right? So if your lungs are up here, your diaphragm kind of sits down here. And so what happens when you take really deep belly breaths, and this is where a lot of us mess up because we breathe from our chest and not from our bellies. And so what happens is that when you take these deep belly breaths, right, your lungs expand, your diaphragm expands, and your diaphragm is connected to something called the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve runs from your diaphragm all the way up to your brain, and it gets activated and it tells your brain to relax. And it activates something called your parasympathetic system, which is your resting and digesting system. And that's what signals your body to calm down and relax. And so if you're not taking those deep belly breaths, you're not expanding your lungs enough, which is not expanding your diaphragm, and it doesn't activate your vagus nerve. So it's it's actually kind of really cool that our body literally has its own built-in system to help us relax in any moment we are in which is actually so dope, right? But so many of us, we lead such busy lives. And honestly, a lot of us don't even know that we can activate it using this. And so, I mean, this is something that you can do at any time, right? I did this a few times when you were speaking in this podcast and you didn't even realize, right? And and so it's such a powerful, powerful tool to use. And it's so simple and it can help you be relaxed in any situation. I just wanted to chime in on that. I remember reading an article about the fact of the chest breathing. So many people don't realize that because, you know, for in terms of social comparison, nobody wants to be fat, right? Whatever the case is. And so you're like, what? I got to expand my gut. No, that cannot be the case. Right. They walk around. like, But like if if Mm -hmm. someone's sitting at home listening right now, try to breathe with your chest, like really compare like and then with your belly. Like there's so much more that you get in. And I remember when I was reading that article, I'm like, oh my God, I did the same thing reading that. I'm like, wow, what a difference. And I love how you bring up like the parasympathetic nervous system because it's the same thing about like the exposure yeah. therapy. You say you have social anxiety, you go to a party, sympathetic nervous systems running. Oh my God, you're in danger. Oh my God. And then you're just saying, that's one of those moments where you can mm-hmm. deep breathe to kind of just relax yourself. Right. And then that way you're able to kind of keep yourself composed and allow your body enough time to realize, oh, wow, I could be in this setting without being in danger. Right. So it was just, yeah, it was just really interesting Mm -hmm. to read about all that. Mm -hmm. No. And I love that. And I'm actually one of my patients was a university student. He had social anxiety and that's literally what he did. And I'm so proud of him because he's been getting so much better. And it's literally by implementing these simple strategies like this, because he got into a place, he's able to able to relax himself. And then he's like, 
able to like actively engage and be like, I am safe in this environment. I'm with my friends. It's okay to be me, you know? And he's been getting so much better as a result of that. And it's, yeah, it's, I'm so proud of him. It's incredible. Um, And then the last, you know, coping strategy I would have, um, I feel like those are pretty big coping strategies, but they work so well. I actually did a TEDx talk on this a month ago. Um, yeah. And it's all about creating, um, happiness systems. And that's a really big word. And what I described in my talk was just about us really just reflecting on our days, right? Because ultimately, if you can just focus on trying to be, or trying to make one day as happy as possible, then you got to just repeat, right? And obviously adjust a little bit because situations come up in the way and stuff, but it's all about reflecting on one day from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. Ask yourself, how many of the behaviors are you doing contribute to your happiness versus how many of the behaviors you're doing contribute to your sadness? You have more behaviors that contribute to your sadness you're living a more of a sad, sad life, right? Quotation marks. Um, doing more behaviors that lead to your long-term happiness, you have a happier life, right? And it all goes back down to even the smallest things like, do you snooze your alarm clock in the morning, right? Because that's already setting your day up for something different versus not, right? Are you giving yourself enough breaks throughout the day, right? Before, when you end work and when you enter into your, uh, into your personal life, do you have some sort of like a post-work ritual, right? That allows you to de-stress from work right? The foods that you're eating, right? And the behaviors you're doing around that, right? Do you eat in front of the TV or are you sitting at a table and eating, right? And just really breaking down life and your day and just looking at behaviors. Because at the end of the day, we think thoughts and thoughts are a huge part of mental health, but it's ultimately our behaviors that solidify those thoughts. And I always tell patients that, right? Whenever you are having an anxious moment or whenever you're depressed, what are the behaviors you're doing? Because most likely they're perpetuating those thoughts, those anxious and depressive thoughts. So sometimes it can be hard for people to jump from a negative thought to a positive thought, right? Because I've had moments where I'm just like, ah, I'm trying to think positively. It's not working. There's nothing wrong with me, right? It can be hard sometimes. So to bridge the gap between that, you take positive action, right? Because the behavior can then solidify that thought because you have a hundred percent control over your behaviors, but you don't always have a hundred percent control over your thoughts because we have automatic thoughts and that's very normal. So really just breaking down your day, just focusing on just one day at a time, right? How can I make this day as happy as possible? What are the behaviors I can do? What are the perspective shifts that I can take over things that I can't control, but I can control my perspective on them? Right. And just breaking it down. When you just focus on one day at a time, what happens is that that one day turns into a week, which turns into months, which turns into years. And, and before you know it, literally in front of your eyes, you have built that life that you've always dreamed of. And it just started off by you working on one day at a time. One and day, you're allowed to feel it. You're allowed to feel it. Yeah. You're allowed to feel it. So there you yeah. go. Yeah. Wow. Oh, man. Honestly, I knew this podcast would be great. Yeah. And you're going to be super <laughs> awesome. I knew yeah, from the, I just you. knew. Oh man. Oh, it was such a great conversation. I can yeah. I can listen to you the, the whole time hours, man. Just TED talk, you know, for days. So, you know, I'm sure many others share I, I, I should tell the audience too. Like I was like fangirling, like yeah. I'm like, oh my god, I follow you because like I, I I follow her on Instagram and like I see all her awesome little TikToks and her all her little creation and I'm like, oh man, like then I see it's like a celebrity, right? So yeah. to me. Yeah. So I'm sure anybody else yeah. wants to feel that way, where can they all find you? 
Yeah, so um, I'm active on TikTok, Instagram, I have a Facebook page. Um, I'm coming out with a YouTube channel by the end of this week. Um, so you can all find me. That's all of those at, at Dr. Bisleen Atley. Um, if you want to work with me, that's an option too. You can feel free to message me on DM on either one of those things. And then also if you go on any one of my social platforms, you'll have access to like my website and some of the freebie things that I offer. So check me out at any one of those. Yeah. If you want to hear more stories, don't forget to subscribe, comment, and like. To support more youth by youth-led projects, visit us at youthspeak.ca where you can donate and spread youth mental health awareness. Youth Speak Performance Charity. Speak. Inspire change.